Welcome to the Red Letter Christians podcast. Red Letter Christians gets our name from the Bibles that highlight the words of Jesus in red. And we're aspiring to live as if Jesus meant the stuff he said. We know that the loudest, most prominent voices representing Christianity in America haven't always been the most beautiful or the most faithful voices. And we know that the way we change the narrative is by changing the narrators. We are committed to amplifying the voices of people who are dedicated to Jesus and to justice. Hello, everybody. This is Shane Claiborne, and the name of the show is Across the Pond. Thanks for joining me today. I am recording this over here in the United States of America, and that's why we call it Across the Pond. A lot of you are listening in the UK and other parts of the world. And on this show, we talk about how our faith fuels us to transform the world, to rethink the way things are, and not just to use our faith as a ticket into heaven, but uh, to see our faith as something that, that um, causes us to care about injustice and racism and poverty and uh, the things that Jesus talked so much about. Almost every time Jesus opened his mouth, he talked about the kingdom of God. And uh, it wasn't just a hope for life after death, but a vision for what the world could be now and bringing the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, God's dream down here. So I get to have a lot of friends and guests on the show. And this week, I'm really excited. I've got uh, my friend Sam Heath, who is at EJ USA. Uh, it's a partner of that I work with for a lot of years. We've done stuff together and uh, a partner of Red Letter Christians. Uh, and Sam's got a unique position. We're going to hear about it. He's the manager of the Evangelical Network <laughs> of EJ USA. And uh, good to see you, buddy. Thanks for being you here. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. So I, I think first, you know, for folks not familiar with EJUSA, it's it's uh, an organization that's really come to the forefront of uh, uh, the intersections of a lot of justice issues, uh, the, the death penalty, the abolition of the death penalty, but not just that, a, a better vision of justice, right, of restorative justice and of rethinking mass incarceration. You're doing stuff around policing and police violence. So there's all kinds of stuff, but tell us a little bit about EJUSA for folks that aren't familiar. Sure. So at the core of Equal Justice USA is the idea of, we would say that justice is turning away from punishment and it's turning towards safety, healing, and accountability that repairs. So mm. at the core of who we are is this theory of change of the justice system does this. It's a place of retribution, revenge, pain, and sadness. And we want to upend that, to transform that into a vision of something that's better. Rather than yeah. it being a place that harms, we want it to be a place that heals. And so if we have that vision of change, you can apply that to almost anything. We're applying it to the criminal justice system, which means we move in spaces of death penalty, looking at policing, restorative justice. Yeah. And I, I have a friend that is a biblical scholar that said, you know, in, in scripture, in the in the Hebrew and in the in the Greek, you see this connection between uh, justice and righteousness. And he said the best translation of that concept is restorative justice. Mm -hmm. And I, I thought that was pretty beautiful, you know, because there's a lot of different versions of justice and you've got it in the name, you know, Equal Justice USA. But, you know, there's folks that say 
we need justice for the victims. So we need an execution, you know, if someone's uh, convicted of, of murder mm-hmm. and, and yet like what, what you're saying and what, you know, in my, my heart, I believe is that God's justice is sort of asking very different questions than the criminal justice system is often asking. And, you know, our justice system is often saying, what did they do wrong and what punishment do they deserve for the crime that they did? And I think that restorative justice says it's asking a whole different set of questions, right? Is what wounds were inflicted and what's going to heal those wounds. And, and, you know, it kind of leaves room that even the person who, who has uh, been a victimizer, you know, has created wounds might play a role in healing them, right? It's everybody. It's everybody who needs healing. It's the person who's done the harm. It's the person who's been harmed. It's the community around that person. All of those individuals need some form of healing. And all those individuals with the way the justice system is right now experience some form of trauma. Mm. And so what we're saying is we want that system to be a space of healing and that that's possible. Yeah. And uh, as you, you know, in Philadelphia, we've got one of the oldest penitentiaries, uh, you, you know, and, and it was my understanding is that, that it was set up by the Quakers. And they told me that it was modeled after some of the monasteries, you know, the and, and incidentally, you know, a lot of monks, even to this day and nuns, they called their prayer chamber a cell. And so they set it up and called it a penitentiary, which, you know, shares the same root as the word repentance, because it was meant to be a place where you could rethink things and you could kind of get grounded and, uh, you know, spiritually uh, uh, founded in a, in a in maybe healthier and, and be restored to society. But you know, we've right. come a long, a long way from that. If that right. was the vision, right. we, we've come a long way from that, right? Look where we are. Well, you talked about justice and what that means to people and what that means in the Bible. And so often for people, when they talk about justice, it is tied in their mind, whether it's conscious or not, to punishment, right? Mm -hmm. We talk about, I want justice for this crime or justice for this event. And so often that means some form of punishment. But what we're saying and what the Bible is saying is justice is healing. You talked about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God brings shalom. And there's a spiritual Mm -hmm. piece of that. And there's a physical in the moment now reality piece of that. Mm. Yeah, and, and we've talked about it on this show before, but the, you know, one of the, the go-to verses, I think even just in, in a lot of people's imagination, when we think about justice is the eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, you know, which mm-hmm. was really a, a very ancient uh, framework of justice that uh, it did allow for reciprocal harm, you know, and this predated scripture, it predated Jesus by hundreds of years, but it was this idea that one version of justice is that you could harm someone back in the same manner as that they had harmed you, right? So an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And yet we've kind of misconstrued that, right? And we've, we, when, you, when you really study it, it was meant to be a limit uh, to how much someone could retaliate. And the, and the word retaliation comes from this ancient law, lex taliones. It's where we get the whole concept of retaliation. And yet, if you look at it, it was meant to be a license to stop the spiral of violence, but we've used it, um, you know, rather than a limitation, we've used it as sort of this open invitation to retaliate or to to think of justice as uh, mirroring the harm that was done. And that's why I think it's beautiful. I want to hear your take on this, uh, Sam, but when Jesus says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, Moses told you this, but I tell you this. And I think what he's going to do as, as a, 
you know, as the fulfillment of that law is say, you know, uh, you, you might have a right to hurt someone back, but that doesn't mean you should, you know, j- just because you can doesn't mean you must. And it doesn't mean that that's the best version of justice, you know, limiting harm might have been a good place to start, but eliminating harm is a, is a good place to take us, you know, this idea that we're not actually going to mirror the hurt. And, um, you know, we don't rape people who rape to show that rape is wrong. And if you poke my eye out, I don't think many of us would suggest the best version of justice is that we should gouge your eye out. But we still have that that framework in our heads sometimes, right? That that uh, we should we should return harm for harm, and and certainly our criminal justice system works under that idea a lot, doesn't it, Sam? Absolutely, yeah. Well, Jesus is a crossroads, right? I mean, when he comes, he changes things. He doesn't throw out the law; he fulfills it. He also reframes how it applies and what pieces of it continue. And he tells us what it really was. And even if we look within the law, it always had a restorative bent to it. It always was moving toward reconciliation. Jesus shows us that perfectly. He tears the curtain. He breaks down that barrier and he gives us a way to do that. And so now that Jesus has come, now that the spirit is here, there are things that are deep and possible and amazing and good that we don't have to be bound by a strict adherence to something. Jesus has given life and given it in this new way. Ooh, glory. Not only is he going to kind of challenge the idea of reciprocal harm or eye for an eye, but he's also going to expand the kind of idea of what we're guilty of, right? When he says uh, anyone who has called their neighbor a fool, you know, (laughs) has committed murder in her heart, let the one who is without sin cast the first stone. So like if uh, that, that, that kind of a challenges our credentials, right. For, uh, for for judging and condemning other people, doesn't it? Yeah, our, our, our sin is deeper than we thought, right? If me yeah. just thinking about harming someone is almost akin to murder, that's, that's worse than I thought. But yet the solution is not more punishment, right? While Jesus shows us our sin is greater, the mercy and the grace that he brings is actually big. I mean, we, uh, we want to talk about what is it that actually changes hearts? What is it that actually changes people? Punishment can control behavior, but that's not changing hearts. What Jesus yeah. has come, what the kingdom of God does is it draws, it woos with what is wonderful and not with what is wicked. And that is what we want to build. We want to see hearts change, not just people control. Control is easy. You do that with fear, but love is hard. And that is a sustaining thing that can alter people. Well, bring in the word today. This you, You're listening to uh, Sam Heath, uh, who's uh, our special guest today. The name of the show is Across the Pond, and I'm your host, Shane Claiborne. And Sam is working with an organization called Equal Justice USA. And tell us a little bit more about yourself, man, how you got involved in this work, because it's been just a, a gift to partner together over the years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. My background is teaching. So I grew up always wanting to be a teacher, and I spent 10 years teaching high school history and taught about the history of Europe, the history of our country, about Western philosophy. And the more I taught about these things, the more I saw the history of our country, how it's this mix of wicked and wonderful and exceptional and exploitative. And I wanted to not just teach about those things, but be in a more direct activism and organizing role. All Hmm. through that, a friend of mine was arrested and was in prison for 13 years. And I was friends with him before, during, and after his release. And he was my on the ground eyes of this is what the justice system actually is. This is what it does. This is what it's not capable of doing. And it wrecked him and it changed him. And he left now and he's 
healthy and growing more whole, but he showed me what the system actually is and how it is so true that people believe justice equals punishment and what that does and what that can't do to people. And so over time, I really wanted to engage in activism in a direct role with this work, specifically criminal justice reform. And the spark that pushed me from teaching into that world were really the uprisings in 2020 and seeing what was happening, engaging in that and wanting to move from a place, not just of education, which is wonderful and I support, but for me wanting to be in a place of that activism and direct organizing. And so I heard about Equal Justice USA and the work that they were doing and the specific branch of the evangelical network that they had and the importance that they saw reaching out to people of faith to bring them into this work. It's, it's so important, the work that EJUSA is doing. And t- talk a little, but we're going to talk about evangelicalism and how the church engages this. But first, there's kind of five different intersecting issues that you work on. So Tell us a little bit more about that, because there many of those are the heartbeat of, of what we're doing at Red Letter Christians. And I think mm-hmm. other folks in, in the UK and, and around the world are really thinking about many of these same things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you, if you think about almost in, in three levels, at the top is the idea that we would say justice is not punishment. It's safety, healing and accountability that repairs. And under that are two ways or buckets that we would talk about things. There are things that we do that are reforms. There are things that we want to change to reduce harm, to reduce violence, to make the system better. But we also want to bring something that's new. We want to transform that system. We want it to be something that's totally different. So Mm. under all those two spaces, we've got five main issues. So the, the, I said earlier, the vision that we have is something you can apply to almost any institution, to any sphere. Within the criminal justice system, there are tons of issues that we can engage. The the vision could be applied to other things later on, which is part of what's really exciting. The five things that we look at now, we talk about repealing the death penalty. We talk about violence reduction. We talk about trauma-informed policing. We talk, talk about community justice and healing and then racial equity. And racial equity really is the lens that everything is through. We list that as an issue, but that's the thread that really connects all the other four. Mm-hmm. And you can see that thread in, you know, pretty much all of these, whether it's policing or mass incarceration or, I mean, the death penalty, which mm-hmm. has mm-hmm. its its uh, roots deep in our history of uh, racial terror and lynching and, and the destruction of Black lives. And even today, uh, what folks may not know is unless we change the way that we think about our criminal justice system, uh, this is our where we're at. One in every three African-American boys born today can expect to go to prison. One in three. We've got more uh, African-Americans in prison today than there were enslaved in the 1800s. We've got in the U.S. Um, about 5% of the global population, but 25% of the global prison population, one in four prisoners um, are, are here. And it's a way that it's something that's become almost um, uh, normal, right? I mean, it's just yeah, kind of like this way prison of build up. And I, you know, I see behind on, on your shelf, the folks listening, of course, can't see it, but the new Jim Crow and Michelle Alexander's work has been really important to me. But that buildup is, I mean, it has a whole history, but um, tell me where you see some cracks or where you see hope um, that we can change that, the, the current trajectory. Yeah, I think people are tired 
I think people are tired of the system once they hear what it is. So I, I, I want to believe that a lot of the way that our system is maintained now is because of ignorance or a lack of imagination. And so the hope is, is as we talk about those statistics that you gave that are huge and that are rooted in people and real, and there's so many more. We have a million police officers, right? We have hundreds of millions of guns. We have over half of the world's female prisoners, over half of the people on death row are people who are black. The, the statistics themselves, as much as they're related to people, reveal the system doesn't work. And mm. the more we talk about that with people, people realize, I, I didn't know. And so mm. the hope is to say, here's what this system is. It's broken. It doesn't work. It's an excuse for us to, to label and to push people into a category of monsters so that we can feel safe and secure. And it doesn't actually keep us safe. And so once mm. we talk about how this is wicked and how this doesn't work, we also want to talk about what we can build and what a possibility is. So the cracks in the system are that people are starting to respond, whether that be legislators, whether that be activists, whether that be people who are sitting in the pew, people, once they hear what this is, jaw drop and are upset and start to get excited and engage, especially with things like restorative justice, things that have a really incredible, clear biblical root and start mm. saying there is an other option. There's an alternative. And when they hear often that survivors of crime want that, the vast majority of people who have crimes committed against them, it's over 80%, I believe, when they are offered an alternative to incarceration for the person who's harmed them, want that. Mm. So the narrative that we should seek justice as punishment for victims and survivors is a false one. Those victims and survivors want something else and their voices are being heard more and more. And the options are there. They're being done across the country. Yeah. You mentioned the word imagination. And um, I, I remember a, a wise man that once uh, it, it was actually in Iraq uh, in the middle of the war that one of the doctors said violence is for those who have lost their imagination. And in some ways, I think, you know, this is a question of do we have mm -hmm. the capacity to imagine uh, a different way of doing justice, a different way of policing? And one of the things that happened under the Obama administration was a task force to rethink policing. And you all have kind of continued that work of dreaming and imagining a different way of policing, um, among the other things that you're doing. But one of, one of the, there were lots of good suggestions, I thought, and I've read that report. I don't know if you have, but, you know, like um, that, you know, we need community accountability. So police mm -hmm. officers shouldn't be the only ones to police police officers. right? We should have a, a bigger accountability for police officers, uh, misconduct, um, the immunity that's exploited by police officers, things like that. that uh, mm -hmm. um, but one of the ideas was that we needed a different uh, group of first responders mm -hmm. that are, might be thought of as like emergency social workers, right? That are trained in mental health, that are trained in addiction, that are trained in de-escalation, you know? Um, and perhaps even live in the communities that they're working in. And I, I thought that was a really imaginative idea. Are there others that you think of that like things that you've heard that might be like new ideas? Because it kind of feels like we just get stuck in the rut of this is the way we've always done things. And it's hard for some people to imagine policing differently, even though in the UK and other places, there's police officers that are generally unarmed unless they need to be, yeah. you know, uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Well, a lot of the good news is a lot of the ideas aren't super new, that they're old and that they work. And a lot of these ideas, like you're talking about with violence interruption and community-based violence prevention, a lot of those are rooted in black and brown communities and began there out of desperation and necessity. And they worked 
And over time now, those are increasingly getting attention and hopefully getting more funding. So a lot of these ideas are there within these communities. A lot of those options are there. I mean, restorative justice is another good example, right? I mean, mm. it's something that's biblical. It's something that's ancient. It's something that's in Native American culture, in New Zealand. It's all over the world, all throughout history. And you see that being applied in, in all sorts of forms. Restorative justice is not just one thing, right? I mean, at its core, it's asking the questions you said at the beginning, rather than asking what crime was happened or what crime happened and how can I punish someone who was harmed and how can that person be healed? And that healing needs to happen. It needs to come for all parties involved, for the community, for the person who was harmed, for the person who was the victim. And so restorative justice puts those people together in a room and brings together admission of fault, repair, and then some form of how can this be prevented so it won't happen again. So a lot of these ideas are there. They're in cities and countries across the world. The data shows that they're great and good and that they work. And now it's a matter of sparking people's imagination and saying, these are already happening and could happen even more. And they work. Mm, mm. Well, in case you're just tuning in, you've been listening to Sam Heath. He's my guest today and working with Equal Justice USA. But he's also the manager of the Evangelical Network and, the, you know, really a bridge builder to the evangelical community. And that's a word that gets thrown around a lot these days, Sam. I, I mean, we, we come out of, with evangelical roots, but for, you know, it's become a way of thinking politically about a group of people, you know, as a voting block sometimes in the U.S., rather than the, the fact that the word evangelical means good news. You know, we get our, our name originally from the gospel. That, that's, that's you know, at the heart of what it means to evangelical, be evangelical. And there's a history of working for justice and the abolition of slavery and women's rights and all these different wonderful things. And yet, a lot of what's in evangelicalism today does not look a lot like good news. <laughs> Uh, uh, And, you know, there's a lot of ex-evangelicals or post-evangelicals. I I wrote a book, uh, I contributed to a book of of essays uh, called Still Evangelical with a big question mark, you know, a bunch of folks reflecting on, are we trying to, you know, redeem this thing or what? But, um, you know, some of the folks that have constructed these kind of fundamentalist ideas have the largest sledgehammers to try to deconstruct them, but we end up kind of in this circular pattern. So I'm wondering what you see as you look at the church, you know, and evangelicalism in particular, um, are, are, are you seeing more and more folks engaging these issues like racial equity and uh, mm. rethinking mass incarceration, the death penalty, those sorts of things? Absolutely. Absolutely. To be an evangelical is to love Jesus. It's to love the Bible. And historically, it means to love social activism and to engage in the world primarily through caring through the marginalized and through the other. Right. Evangelicalism, it's a word that's 500 years old. Like you said, it's based on the Greek evangelion for the good news. Right. These are people who love Jesus and live out in the world in response to that. But yet the cultural version of evangelicalism often takes up space and has taken over and they're loud and they're funded. But this is a huge umbrella, right? The idea of being an evangelical encompasses Brian Stevenson and Donald Trump. So this is a a huge group of of an estimated 90 to 100 million people. But yet there are theological evangelicals, those that hold to the roots, that hear and see the broken and the marginalized and are interested and want to engage. 
And those groups are increasingly talking with each other. And part of my role and privilege of doing it is to talk with those people, to cluster them together and to say, you are not alone, you are heard and things are happening. And you can still maintain that really tarnished label of evangelical because at its core is a root of love of Jesus and love of others. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it, I, I know that I've hung out with a lot of you know younger Christians and evangelicals uh, and, and others, you know, folks that wouldn't identify as evangelical. I find a lot of young people really don't care a whole lot about the labels, right? They love Jesus. They care about justice. They care about racism. And in one particular study, it showed that uh, around 80% of millennial Christians, so this is, you know, born after 1980, 80% of them want to see an end to the death penalty. And it's not in spite of their faith, but because of their faith, they can't reconcile killing someone <laughs> with, with the one who said, blessed are the merciful. And that, you right. know, the, the savior who died to save us from death and, you know, all, all the, the hands of the so, state. Yeah, that's right. You would think we would have a suspicion about the death penalty going back to 33 AD, but we don't always. Right. But mm-hmm. there does seem to be a generational shift in some of this. And, you know, in the last minute, um, maybe s- share a little bit more about where you see that hope, because there's so much youth movement right around Black Lives Matter, the, the environment, gun violence, so many of these things, even the demographics of Congress here in the U.S. are getting, yeah. you know, there's young folks that have these beautiful ideas for changing the world. So uh, send us out with that vision, man. Yeah, well, people care about life. And people see that things like the death penalty, like our prison system, like our policing system are connected to the history of white supremacy, right? All of these are birthed out of and are still really tied with racism. And people are done with that, especially millennials. And as people pursue life, that means we have to rethink these things. We have to rethink these institutions and not just what they're doing, but what is it that is at their core? And people are finally starting to ask these questions of what does healing look like? And they know that it's out there and they know it's possible. That's it. That's the word, y'all. You've been listening to Sam Heath and I'm Shane Claiborne. The show's across the pond. And this is what we want. We want a Christianity that looks like Jesus again. We're aspiring to live as if Jesus meant the stuff he said. So keep doing it and keep spreading the word. We'll see you next week. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Red Letter Christians podcast. Too often, Christians have used our faith as a ticket into heaven and a license to ignore the world we live in. But at Red Letter Christians, we believe our faith is not just about going to heaven when we die, but also about bringing heaven to earth while we live. For more information on Red Letter Christians and upcoming events, additional resources, you can go to the show notes or our website, redletterchristians.org. You can also support Red Letter Christians by giving a one-time donation or becoming a monthly sustainer. Just go to our website and click the red donate button. Thank you for being a part of this conversation and for being a part of this movement.